Chapter Eighteen of the Covered Wagon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Covered Wagon by Emerson Huff. Chapter Eighteen Arrow and Plow. The night attack on the great emigrant encampment was a thing which had been preparing for years. The increasing number of the white men, the lessening numbers of the buffalo, meant inevitable combat with all the tribes sooner or later. Now the spring hunt of the Northern Plains tribes was on. Five hundred lodges of the Sioux stood in one village on the north side of the Platte. The scaffolds were red with meat. Everywhere the women were dressing hides, and the camp was full of happiness. For a month, the great Sioux nation had prospered according to its lights. Two hundred stolen horses were under the wild herdsmen, and any who liked the meat of the spotted buffalo might kill it close to camp from the scores taken out of the first caravans up the Platte that year. The Mormons and other early trailers, whom the Sioux despised because their horses were so few, but the Sioux, fat with boudin and depuis and marrow-bones, had waited long for the great western train which should have appeared on the north side of the Platte, the emigrant road from the council bluffs. For some days now they had known the reason, as Jim Bridger had explained. The wagons had forded the river below the big island. The white men's medicine was strong. The Sioux did not know of the great rendezvous at the forks of the great medicine road. Their watchmen, stationed daily at the eminences along the bluffs of the north shore brought back scoffing word of the carelessness of the whites when they got ready they too would ford the river and take them in they had not heeded the warning sent down the trail that no more whites should come into this country of the tribes it was to be war and now the smoke signals said yet more whites were coming in from the south the head men rode out to meet their watchmen News came back that the entire white nation now had come into the valley from the south and joined the first train. Here, then, was the chance to kill off the entire white nation, their women and their children, so there would be none left to come from toward the rising sun. Yes, this would end the race of the whites without doubt or question, because they were all here. After killing these, it would be easy to send word west to the Arapahoes and Grosvenches and Cheyenne, the crows the blackfeet the shoshones the utes to follow west on the medicine road and wipe out all who had gone on west that year and the year before then the plains and the mountains would all belong to the red men again the chiefs knew that the hour just before dawn is when an enemy's heart is like water when his eyes are heavy so they did not order the advance at once but a band of the young men who always fought together one of the inner secret societies or clans of the tribe could not wait so long first come first served daylight would be time to look over the children and to keep those not desired for killing and to select and distribute the young women of the white nation but the night would be best for taking the elk dogs and the spotted buffalo accordingly a band from this clan swam and forded the wide river crossed the island and in the early evening came downstream back of a shielding fringe of cottonwoods. 
their scouts saw with amazement the village of teepees that moved on wheels they heard the bugle saw the white nation gather at the medicine fire heard them chant their great medicine song then saw them disperse saw the fires fall low they laughed the white nation was strong but they did not put out guards at night for a week the sioux had watched them and they knew about that it would be easy to run off all the herd and to kill a few whites even now beginning the sport before the big battle of tomorrow which was to wipe out the white nation altogether but when at length as the handle of the great dipper reached the point agreed the line of the sioux clansmen crawled away from the fringe of trees and out into the cover of the little slough that made toward the village of teepees on wheels a quarter of a mile in front of the village men arose out of the ground and shot into them five of their warriors fell tall men in the dark came out and counted coup on them took off their war bonnets took off even more below the bonnets and there was a warrior who rode this way and that on a great black horse and who had a strange war cry not heard before and who seemed to have no fear so said the clan leader when he told the story of the repulse taken aback the attacking party found cover but the sioux would charge three times so they scattered and crawled in again over a half circle they found the wall of teepees solid found that the white nation knew more of war than they had thought they sped arrow after arrow ball after ball against the circle of the white teepees but they did not break and inside no one moved or cried out in terror whereas outside in the grass men rose up and fired into them and did not run back but came forward some had short rifles in their hands that did not need to be loaded but kept on shooting and none of the white nation ran away and the elk dogs with long ears and the spotted buffalo were no longer outside the village in the grass but inside the village what men could fight a nation whose warriors were so unfair as all this came to the tribesmen drew back to the cottonwoods a half mile my heart is weak said their clan leader i believe they are going to shoot us all they have killed twenty of us now and we have not taken a scalp i was close said a young boy whom they called bull gets up or the sitting bull i was close and i heard the spotted buffalo running about inside the village i heard the children tomorrow we can run them away but tonight what man knows the gate into their village they have got a new chief today they are many as the grass leaves their medicine is strong i believe they are going to kill us if we stay here thus the partisan so they did not stay there but went away and at dawn banion and bridger and jackson and each of the column captains others also came into the corral carrying war bonnets shields and bows and some had things which had once been below war bonnets the young men of this clan always fought on foot or on horse in full regalia of their secret order day or night the emigrants had plenty of this savage war gear now we've beat them off said bridger and maybe they won't ring us now get the cooking done captain banion and let's roll out but for your wagon park they'd have cleaned us the whites had by no means escaped scatheless a dozen arrows stood sunk into the sides of the wagons inside the park 
Hundreds had thudded into the outer sides, nearest the enemy. One shaft was driven into the hard wood of a plough beam. Eight oxen staggered, legs wide apart, shafts fast in their bodies. Four lay dead. Two horses also. As many mules. This was not all. As the fighting men approached the wagons, they saw a group of stern-faced women weeping around something which lay covered by a blanket on the ground. Molly Wingate stooped, drew it back to show them. Even Bridger winced. An arrow, driven by a buffalo bow, had glanced on the spokes of a wheel, risen in its flight, and sped entirely across the enclosure of the corral. It had slipped through the canvas cover of a wagon on the opposite side, as so much paper, and caught fair a woman who was lying there, a nursing baby in her arms, shielding it, as she thought, with her body. But the missile had cut through one of her arms, pierced the head of the child, and sunk into the bosom of the mother deep enough to kill her also. The two lay now, the shaft transfixing both, and they were buried there, and they lie there still, somewhere near the Grand Island, in one of the thousand unknown and unmarked graves along the great Medicine Road. Under the ashes of a fire they left this grave, and drove six hundred wagons over it, and the Indians never knew. The leader stood beside the dead woman, hats in hand. This was part of the price of empire, the life of a young woman, a bride of a year. The wagons all broke camp and went on to a vast caravan. The Missourians now at the front. Noon and the train did not halt. Banyan urged the Teamsters. Bridger and Jackson were watching the many signal smokes. I'm afeard of the next bend, said Jackson at length. The fear was justified. Early in the afternoon, they saw the outriders turn and come back to the train at full run. Behind them, riding out from the concealment of a clump of cottonwoods, on the near side of the scattering river channels, there appeared rank after rank of the Sioux, more than two thousand warriors bedecked in all the savage finery of their war dress. They were after revenge. They had left their village, and, paralleling the white men's advance, had forded on ahead. They came out now, five hundred, eight hundred, a thousand, two thousand strong, and the ground shook under the thunder of the hoofs. They were after their revenge, eager to inflict the final blow upon the white nation. The spot was not ill-chosen for their tactics. The alkali plain of the valley swung wide and flat, and the trail crossed it midway, far back from the water, and not quite to the flanking sand hills. While a few dashed at the cattle, waving their blankets, the main body, with workmanlike precision, strung out and swung wide, circling the train and riding in to arrow range. The quick orders of Banyan and his scouts were obeyed as fully as time allowed. At a gallop, horse and ox transport alike were driven into a hurried park, and some at least of the herd animals enclosed. The riflemen flanked the train, 